Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. This is the Deep Dive with your host, Justin Wells. And joining me today, Ian Boyd, to, to, to my left, uh, the wonderful X's and O's guru at InsideTexas.com. It's a great place. Come see us. Come hang out. Let us earn your business. And at the bottom is Paul Waddlington, who is never at the bottom. He is always the top of the charts. He is the man doing so many wonderful things at Inside Texas. He's kind of a jack of all trades. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to have some fun with Deep Dive tonight. We're going to talk about returning production. Because that our, our man, Bill Conley, over at ESPN put out a uh, – a report about the uh, returning production popping up throughout college football. And it was a really good insight into what you could possibly expect uh, expectations wise in 2024. We're going to talk about uh, Longhorns rising in the NFL drafts, a lot of mock draft season. We, a lot of that's going on right now. And like Paul said earlier, there's probably 150 of those things before it happens. But Texas guys are climbing into day one, day two heroes right now. And then we're going to finish it off with our eulogy of the NCAA. And, and, and I know that might feel a little premature, but a few things have happened over the course of the last five or six days that I think have altered the course of its existence, which I, I think we can all say we kind of expected this death to be slow and painful, and, and that appears what it's going to be in the long term. But let's start with returning production. This was this was a really good report that, that Bill Conley put out. It gives you an idea of where you know where the where guys that are returning where you know kind of how you can build up your 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 expectations um and i as soon as we pull that up i'm going to hand it off to paul zone read style because i'm curious about how portal guys you know factor into this as well but the first thing i notice is texas a&m is the top returning team in the sec and texas is the number two take it away yeah, so Bill Connolly is a guy, if you're familiar with him, he does advanced statistics. He, he's the guy who invented S&P, uh, which is one of the older forms of advanced statistics and analytics, and he writes at ESPN. So one thing about these returning – right. Well, he also hired me at Football Study Hall. All right. Yeah, so we, we go back. All right. Well uh, – Name dropper. Yeah, no kidding. Ian, big man. Why, why am I introing this if, if Ian's got all these deep connections? Uh, is he going to baptize your kids? No, it doesn't look like it. Okay. All right. Just making sure, man. All right. So here's the deal. When he's looking at returning production, he's looking at literally like what it says. And the question I think most people have is how can you do returning production in the era of the portal? Great question. The answer that he does, and it's not fully satisfactory because it's not apples and apples, but it's his chance, yeah. his, his attempt to make it apples and apples is any returning starter who portals in to a new program, his history ports with him. So he's counted as having returning production. Uh, so, for example, Florida State lost, of course, Jordan Travis. They also lost their backup. They got DJ Ugalele. His portal data and all of his history comes with him and it'll so it'll actually show that florida state has returning production at quarterback of course yeah. they've completely lost all their receivers so hopefully that helps explain how this works it's not perfect but it is a useful measuring tape and look i'll start us off with the aggies guys they're ranked 18th in returning production uh, i don't think that's incredibly surprising but i think it may be surprised to the casual fan who thinks that they are, their entire team portaled out and all their starters, starters portaled out. 
In fact, I think a fair number of these high-profile guys that left were not starters or they were kind of starters but not playing either because they were injured or maybe not so injured and they're just waiting for their next opportunity. So the point is a and is actually going to return quite a bit. And what we're going to do with this is it's kind of a mechanism to give you a quick and dirty preview of two or three minutes on each team that we're going to play, knowing full well that when the spring portal opens, all sorts of stuff's going to happen. Spring games, depth charts are going to change. But we just want to get a quick taste of what Texas's first year in the SEC is going to look like. So we could start with AM guys, even though it's the last game. Um, I kind of think Elko has an opportunity to just bring in some real football coaching and be a stabilizing force. I know some yes. of the things that are going on there are not ideal. I still think AM is going to struggle a little bit, but I, they're not going to be the laughing stock that they were last year. I think they're going to play competitively. And I think Elko, whatever you think of him long term, I think he's a legitimate real football coach. And I, I kind of think that's what AM needs. Yeah, I I think uh, I have a, an Aggie friend that, that notes that this may be the most talented roster Elko ever gets to coach. Wow. And, uh, because, I mean, because they have all this talent stockpiled still. And, you know, we'll see if he can get the buy-in to recreate that in, in future classes or not. But um, they really went for it in the portal. Not only did they retain a lot of their production – but a lot of the guys that they're bringing in had proven production at their previous yes. stops. Like the um, Nick Scorton, is that right? Yes. Purdue Edge had like 10 and a half sacks last year at Purdue. That's no joke, right? That's big <laughs> team football. Yeah. Um, I have their roster here somewhere, but uh, some of the other guys they brought in as well, they brought in a San Diego State safety that started a year ago. They brought Will Lee in, who was a starter at Kansas State at cornerback. Um, they brought in another edge from Bowling Green that that played last year. They brought it, in a, it, Ian. Yeah. It looks like they brought in a lot of defensive guys, and I think they've had most of their attrition over the last two years of those classes. Those really good classes they had were on the defensive side of the ball. But I'm more curious about who's coming back on offense because I know that I know they have a few. They've got a few guys coming back on the line. Don, you know, Connor Wegman, to me, is can be a tremendous college quarterback when, when he gets back. But, you know, where's Evan Stewart? And where's where's the big plays going to come from? Yeah, I mean, we'll see on the receiver. They they have a La Tech guy that came in that was, that was good a year ago. Their line is, I think, mostly intact. Yeah. They I think this is last year with Bryce Foster and Ruben Fotherty and those guys. Yep. So to, to then, just throw in on Justin's point, they do return 77% of their offensive production. So just gross statistics. And you mentioned Evan Stewart. You know, he's kind of one of those – he was more about potential than than production, particularly last right. year. He either did big, big things in games or he did nothing. Or, or he sat out. And you yes. basically wasted all those reps. You wasted all those spring reps. You wasted all those summer reps on a guy who decided he didn't want to play. Yeah, so right. I think that's, you know, in a way, getting Evan Stewart out of there, it, it's actually helpful to AM because it. Hey, it oh, amen. And I love Evan. I love Evan. I think he's a really good kid and he is going to have a lot of fun at, at Nike Town. But I just, I, I'm going through their, their offense and I'm thinking, 
what big guys scare you, what big playmakers scare you. Because Evan Stewart, when playing, could scare you. And I love Wegman. You know, that kid grew up a, a big Texas fan, and I thought he was going to wind up playing third base for the Astros. Unbelievable baseball player. Decided on AM, you know, stayed there, got hurt last year, beat out Haynes King, who coincidentally went to Georgia Tech and absolutely looked great. And now is is, is putting putting together a great college career. But who's Wegman? Who's gonna run the ball? Who's there's no more Achain? There's no more Anaya Smith or or Musha Muhammad Jr. There's no none of those guys that were so reliable, I felt like that we saw. Felt like those guys were on the roster for four or five years. I just I, I'm trying to see who's gonna take that mantle. I know at running back it'll be Reuben Owens, the black unicorn. We all know Reuben Owens, and there's fun, fun Reuben Owens recruiting stories to tell one day. That day's not today. But I'm just curious <laughs> about with, with AM because they're so high up. And I'm trying to think, well, what playmakers on offense are, are, are really justifying that? Well, remember their new offensive coordinator is Colin Klein. And uh, his, his offensive playmakers at Kansas State were Deuce Vaughn, obviously very good. Cade Warner, Kurt Warner's son who walked on. Yeah. Uh, Malik Knowles. I mean, they – was that again? Phillip Brooks. Sorry. Phillip Brooks. There's a lot of guys that are never going to be drafted and you'd heard of before Klein got him in the right spots. Now, I know – it's not going to be as easy in the SEC to do that as it was at Kansas State. And the, they have to – I mean, it, it could be years before it, and probably will, never will A&M have quite the same culture as Kansas State to yeah. turn in a, a MVP quarterback son into a star receiver out of the walk-on ranks. It's like par for the course at Kansas State. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm with Paul. I, I really I really respect this coaching staff, and I, I wonder if they might – find some surprises well I, I'll, I'll say this surprises. go ahead yeah Paul. I'll say this I, I I can see the strategy he's forming he's trying to secure a floor on that defense and get yes. a lot of reliable guys and then they do have some talent as well that did stick around and I think here's my prediction we'll see it's way early it's the silly season because I, I don't have to be responsible for these predictions until uh, I write my thinking Texas football preview you know in in June and May, but I think they're going to run clock on offense. I think they're going to have a ball control offense. I think they're going to rely on Wegman to be a high percentage completions guy. I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to shorten the game and I think they're going to play defense. And I think that's Mike Elko's comfort zone. Uh, that's very defensive coordinator. -y if you look at the history of yes. defensive coordinators who yeah. become head coaches, but it's also how Duke won football games. They shorten the game. They they stole uh, yes. possessions on defense. Athletic quarterback and Riley Leonard, and they don't turn it over, right? And that's how they're going to try to go nine and three in the SEC and be a surprise team. Uh, and obviously, integral to that is beating Texas. They're going to get a ton of buy in if they do that. Do we have anything else we want to say on AM? I know we got some other. No, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say, look, from one extreme to the other, let's hit Michigan. You got AM yeah. at eighteen. You got Michigan at 128. Now, we have someone actually on the Inside Texas staff. Please like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Come see us. It's a great time. We have a guy on staff that is, actually lives near Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that's why we'll go to Ian Boyd. Ian Boyd, where the heck is all that? Is it Blake Corum and J.J. McCarthy, and they just took the whole 90% of, of, of their scoring? What's going to happen for Go Blue? 
You know, they were obviously Harbaugh was all in on the season. Um, he obviously believed that a lot was possible for this year, and uh, he probably has been planning to ditch him for the NFL the whole time. <laughs> they like that. He was ready to ditch him when the Connor Stallion stuff came out. They they plugged in some uh, Stanford grad grad transfers at a couple spots in the offensive line. They got Corum back for one more year. Yeah. Um, Donovan they, Edwards uh, flashed at times. They kept Jesse Minner. Now he's taking like all the top coaches on the staff except for more. The strength coach is gone. The D-line coach today had announced was gone, yeah. which has got to be terrifying for them because they have a lot of – they had a lot of NFL talent still on their defensive line that was in the underclassmen ranks that – Everybody's going to be coming to poach in yep. the next portal window. Kenneth Grant, baby. Um, Kenneth Grant, Cam Good, Mason Graham, really good players. So uh, Paul, Paul will get into this. They have probably a lot of talent returning that people don't quite realize. But um, offensively, they're kind of gutted. Their line is completely turned over. Their quarterback is gone. Some of their tight ends are gone. Or some of their receivers are gone. Probably the biggest thing is just the coaching staff. Yeah. Like Sharon Moore, I I was really impressed. They promoted him from like tight ends coach to offensive line coach a couple of years ago. And he was a really young coach at the time. And I was like, and then they made him like O-line coach and coordinator. And I was like, I mean, that sort of makes sense. But is he, because Harbaugh's there, but is he even very good at those things? Like he's been a tight ends coach and now, He's not only in charge of the whole line, but you're going to have him coordinate the offense too. And it ended up that he was great at it. And they've been awesome the last couple of years. But then this is another leap where now it's like, is he is he going to be good at finding and hiring and managing staff as the head coach at a program like Michigan? Like, And so far, a lot of what they've done is just promote the people underneath that are still there to higher positions. So uh, – yeah, that 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 sometimes backfires. I, I feel like the the groundhog saw his shadow, and we're gonna get like six years of winter in Michigan football. Barstool so, will never be the same. Michigan is ranked 128th in returning production. Uh, that's not great, but to Ian's point, I think that's a little deceptive on the defense. So it's kind of interesting. The defense, I actually feel really confident in in terms of the personnel. They're bringing back their best corner. Uh, he's a yeah, shutdown corner. Yep, he's going to be a, a really high NFL draft pick. Yep. Those interior defensive linemen, I, I understand they lost some guys on the D-line. The guys that actually they're replacing them are better. Uh, and I think they're going to be better on higher drafted pros. Now that D-line coach leaving, that's a big deal. Because if they lose their line of scrimmage advantage, I mean, that's what Michigan builds everything around. So people are talking about J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum. Blake Corum is a jag in the NFL, guys. You know, I, I like the oh, guy. No. I like his running style. He's just a guy. I mean, yeah. at the NFL level, he's just – if, if that. He's maybe a job share running back. Like Donovan Edwards guy. is a better pro prospect, in my opinion. Probably so, at least because of the home run ability. You know, Corum gets all the tough yards. But when Michigan loses their line of scrimmage advantages, Michigan kind of loses what makes them Michigan. So hmm. in terms of personnel – 
I think they actually have much better personnel on defense. On offense, they're kind of wiped out. Now, they weren't really winning games with their offense anyway. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that's not as huge a deal. But I think the big deal is what Ian said, which is their defensive staff. In my mind, that defensive staff was the best defensive staff in college football. And I think that D.C. was like when you looked at the four playoff teams, one of these things was not like the other. And it was Rick Minter's defense at Michigan, how they played, how they were coordinated, how the pieces fit, how he called defenses, the scheme, the individual knowledge of each player at their position to play. He's gone. So they bring back these really good personnel on defense, but they lost the guy that made it all cohere and, and come together. So I have huge question marks about Michigan. I would be cautious for people to think we're going to go in there and roll these guys. Uh, there, yeah. there's, there's, gonna be, there's too much talent and too much development that's happened in that program. It's not just going to disappear. You guys remember when Jim Harbaugh left Stanford, right? How long did it take Stanford to go off the rails? A while. David Why? Shaw, Why David Shaw kept it in the lane. He kept it in the lane until it was all him, all his recruits, all his development, and then and it, it kind of slowly got worse. For five years, Shaw was good. Like four he was years for like, NFL head coaching jobs. Absolutely, yeah. he was inter- he was being talked about for Texas. Yep, back in the day. So anyway, that's those are my two cents on Michigan. Are, are we good? Do we we cover? Well, I, I want one more thing. Let's look it's at the one. middle of the pack in the SEC. Florida, 32nd. Kentucky, yes. 102. Arkansas, 109. No, no more KJ Jefferson there. Georgia, 47th. Does anything, Oklahoma, obviously, 67th. Does anything there jump out to you? For me, it's Oklahoma. Not that they're 67th, but that they're 111th in offense and 8th on defense. If that's not a Brent Venables diagram, I don't know what is. I mean, that to me is crazy. What of those middle of the pack in this in these production returns from the SEC to you guys, what stands out to you? So for Oklahoma, a lot of that's Dylan Gabriel, right? So he's a divisive quarterback. And Ian and I have talked about and like refined our perspective of Dylan Gabriel, like going back and forth with each other. And I think we're kind of in the same place now, which is, a very flawed NFL prospect, right? Or, or pro guy. There's a reason he's playing 19 years of college football, right? He's trying to maximize his earnings now because his best hope is to be holding the clipboard, you know, for a few years in the right system for the right coach. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. said, at the college level, don't underestimate what a guy who's seen everything, done everything, and can throw a pretty good ball inside the hashes right down the field that guy is a stats compiler, and that's reflected in this production. Oh, you also lost a bunch of running backs. I'm sorry, they were improved by that. Those young guys are much better players. I'm talking about Sawchuck, uh, those guys. That that cleared that cleared the space for them. Those guys ahead of them, Tawi Walker, they all left because the coaches told them how it was going to be, and the young guys are taking over. Wide receiver going to be interesting i don't know what they have there i'll be honest i think they got to develop some guys uh and then jackson arnold is the big question mark and the offensive line and here's the other thing Ian's question I, mark paul at o-line Huge. well but here's the thing justin ou's 
O-line's a freaking question mark every three years. And every three years, they overperform because Bill Biedenbaugh freaking dials it in. And he he brings these awesome. guys along. So I look at it, and I'd be terrified if it was Team X. You lost these guys to the pros. And the year before, you lost some guys to the pros. You don't have any tackles. You know, the, the guys that are coming back aren't very good. They're kind of jags. Uh, they looked awful, frankly, against Arizona in the bowl game. You know, the the triangle of, of replacements they played. Yeah. Biedenbaugh's worked miracles before. So, you know, I have to give him some credit. Um, that's my take on the OU offense. Ian, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the offense or the defense? Well, if there's going to be a year when Beaten, where Biedenbaugh fails, it's going to be this one. Because – I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just count them out and just assume that they'll suck on the line, because, yeah, it's, you can't do that and, and be intellectually honest. Looking at what that guy's accomplished there, but uh, man, they are really up against it. They've lost like, uh, I mean, how many guys? I don't know how many offensive linemen are there that Riley that were there when Riley was there. Mm. It's very. It may be zero. Yeah, I'm thinking less than zero, not not the fix. Like seriously, less than zero. I, I'm curious with the production they have coming back in the early in the in the portal guys in the O line because so many of those are from the portal. So they that's have, that's five guys almost that have never played in the same line together, and we know how important that cohesiveness is when it comes to the O line. They're going to start. I mean, three or four portal guys in the line this season. Yeah, at least. Um, some of them have played a lot. Some of them are actually like kind of developmental. They like, they took a North Texas kid that was a, I think a freshman all American in North Texas a year ago. Yeah. So, so he's like a redshirt sophomore this year or something. His name is a Fibeci something or another. And uh, I, I mean, we'll see, we'll see on that. I, I think it's possible the line actually comes together just because beaten bow works magic. Jackson Arnold, I don't think is going to be great next year. I think he may do some great things. Like in the Arizona game, he did some great things within that game. He had a couple of throws that you're like, it's only a handful of guys in the league, in the college football that can make that play. But then he made a lot of throws that a lot of guys in college football play could make. And a lot of them were caught by the Arizona Wildcats. Um, it's just, you know who you just described? Who's that? Quinn Ewers? Rhett, Bo- Rhett Bomar. No, he's not. Dude, I don't understand how Rhett Bomar. I, I rewatched some Rhett Bomar like a year ago. I have no idea how that guy was a five star. Not to, not to. He only, he only won four games his senior year in high school. They didn't even make the playoffs. That was my red flag for Rhett, for Bomar. That, that dude was Tyrone Swoops, like proto Tyrone Swoops. Did you know Tyron Swoops is coaching foot, high school football in, in the in the area, the White Rod area now? Really? Yeah, I believe he's at Tom Bean High School. What position is he coaching? I don't think he's coaching quarterbacks. Tight ends, I hope. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Hey, um, uh, back, to, back to Oklahoma and Jackson Arnold. Are there any more thoughts on that? It seems to me that if they're going to make it work, Ian – Jackson Arnold kind of needs to be a little bit of a spread one-man gang. Is there a potential for that, or you think he's going to make too many turnovers in big games? 
I think they need to be able to run the ball next year or they're going to lose him. a yeah. lot of games. Um, defensively, they're kind of interesting because I know they're returning production. What, what was their production on defense again, Paul? Eighth. They're like eighth. They, have a, they had a lot of good players last year. They brought back almost every single one of them that was like integral to the to the defense but they were also like i don't know if their ceiling is that high as the defense that's a great point like they brought back a couple defensive tackles that were clutch for them last year and were really solid dejon terry and uh jacob lacy who were both like ovia gofu types they were able to get them in the portal from other schools because they weren't going to play and they squeezed a lot of value out of them and then they got him back for another year but I just – I don't know how that's going to go when they're in the SEC and they're facing, like, NFL-caliber guards run blocking, you know, instead of Big 12 guards. So um, so I'll tell you where their defensive upside is. Yeah. It's the edge. Uh-huh. They've got some really young, super yeah. talented five stars. One's going to be a sophomore. One, yeah, And then I've got a freshman, I think, that's coming in. And these are their versions of, you know, Colin Simmons. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they could in a Venables type defense. Uh, I think they could make an impact. That's their upside. So if you're trying to tell the persuasive story for Oklahoma as a playoff team, Jackson Arnold takes the next step, right? Grows a lot as a quarterback. Yes. And then those edges weaponize. And suddenly that defense isn't just schemed up, which is, I think, what they kind of were last year. Because once you got them exposed, they were exposed. You could gouge them, right? Uh, but I think those edges could give them something interesting, but we don't know. I mean, it just depends. I mean, I they haven't done it yet, so it's it's hard to say. Guys, I, I think we, we, we've kind of encapsulated the re- returning production. I do want to add a note on Georgia. I don't care that they're 47th in returning production. Because I think they're going to be number one as a team preseason. Yes. I think they are going to be the prohibitive favorites going into 2024 when you break it down. And not just because Carson Beck is returning. And I think he really started to get it at the end of the year. And if they don't lose to Alabama, I kind of feel like they were probably your national, your eventual national champion. But um, I disagree. I don't I do. I, because they're, I feel they were the only one that would be able to match Michigan's size. No. No, yeah. Michigan would have ran the ball on them. That yeah. Georgia oh, defense, I, I get it. Jalen Carter's not coming through that. Do I get it? But yeah, like you talked about, Paul, about the stock of, of, of personnel that Michigan has on, on the defensive side, that front seven, that defensive line coming back and that, that they've recruited and whatnot. Look what Georgia's done. I mean, yeah. it is ridiculous, man. There's a reason yeah. they were the number one or number two class for a couple of years. I think this 2024 Georgia team is going to be significantly better than 2023. And that's pretty bold. I mean, pretty big, really. Well, I, I think they're the best team on our schedule. Yes. And uh, I would love, you know, we always talk about teams, you know, Arkansas has got our game circled. We need to have the Georgia Bulldogs circled. Listen. And, the, the ghost of Ugga. <laughs> yes. What's, what's, what's a rematch with Bebo? Bebo like, did not kill Ugga, though. Let's be clear. No, he didn't. He didn't. But he put him in a bad mental place. 
Did you feel he didn't want to get out of his cage for a long time? And it wasn't just Bevo. I think it was Sam Ellinger. I think it was the fact that they let the Longhorns beat them in the Sugar Bowl. Uga never recovered, Paul. Justin, as a proud Bulldog owner, were you a little sad and sympathetic to Uga? Well, as you you may not know this, I was right there. I'm in the I'm in the GIF, the GIF or whatever. I'm in the the film because I was standing right there because I had to meet Uga. That was one of my main goals being on the field before the game. I'm going to go meet Ugga. I am a proud English Bulldog uh, owner. I've had him for, for half my life. They're the best animal and creature on the planet. And I'm telling you, I had it was me, Taylor Gaspar on my left, and Danny Davis from the Statesman on my right. And Danny's filming it with his phone. And, and as it started to happen, I mean, it, it happened so fast. And, you know, I grew up on a farm, so it's, I'm not – I'm not surprised when, when a bull goes bull. I'm not surprised. But, what, you know, when he came around there and they jerked that, 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 that bulldog back and got him into his cage or whatnot, Danny was recording the whole thing, and he took off. And I go, where are you going? He said, I'm about to go viral. And when he, when he, got, up to the, when he got up to the press box, he put all that in. And, and the best part is when they went into – they brought before the locker – they went. somebody came in the locker room like five minutes before kickoff before they were about to run out, come out for, for the introductions. And they said, what was all that noise in the crowd? And they said, well, Bebo just attacked Ugga. And Tom Herman said later, I, there's not one thing I could have said that would have motivated those guys in that locker room more than hearing Bebo was, just went in on, on Ugga. Like, okay, we're here to play. It's time to party. And so um, – you know, we you know, I love this this subject, and and and, to, and let us know in the comments if you want us to go deeper into that. That's why we call it the deep dive. We try to get as much insight as we can, and and I think it does do a it's a good measurement stick uh, for for stuff to talk about, but also for what you can uh, pretend in twenty twenty four. I do want to pay the bills real quick, and and that you know what that means, Andre the lawyer. Listen, you never want to have to make this phone call. You don't, but when you do. Andre, the lawyer, is the guy. You've got to call him. Listen, if you're injured at work, if you have car wreck, a slip and fall, 18-wheeler accidents, wrongful deaths, Andre is your guy, okay? He is a guy that's going to take care of you. It's that personal touch that Andre has that is tremendous. 214-444-8808. Give Andre, the lawyer, a call. He, he helps Longhorns. He also helps anybody in need. He's a great guy. He's been a longtime member at Inside Texas. We love him. Andre the Lawyer, 214-444-8808. Okay, it's mock draft season. And I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest mock draft fan. I like one, two, maybe three mock drafts, but it's become an industry. It really has to the point where it's exhausting. It's like I don't watch any Super Bowl stuff for, the, for the, that two-week window. Because it it's too much. By the time we get to the bowl, I, I'll be almost burned out. And so for draft Knicks, I'm not as big on it. Until we see these Longhorns climbing at an alarming rate. And I think this is all legitimate. We're looking at six guys that are going to potentially go in the first two days of the NFL draft come late April. And, you know, for a guy that covers recruiting, let me tell you, nothing sells a college program like the NFL draft 2019's LSU team. When they had 14 guys drafted, that next class was unreal. And it's, it, it's, 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 it's one of those things. Coaches can recruit you, love on you, build that relationship all they want. But when you want proof, when mom and dad want proof, that draft 
that's the proven ground right there. You're looking at first round and second round guys. I want to go through a, a few of these, and and I, and I really I want to know kind of what what you guys think a good fit would be, or where you could see they're going, or just if you think okay, this guy's going to climb, this guy's going to fall. We'll start with the first round. We're hearing Byron Murphy is probably going to be the first Longhorn drafted. If you were to ask me six months ago who's going to be the first Longhorn drafted in 2024's draft, I would have told you Quinn Ewers. I would have bet you a lot of money, and I would have lost my ass. It's just the way it is. Byron Murphy and potentially Xavier Worthy. Paul, where do you think these guys fit? And what is Murphy and Worthy going to bring instantly? And this is just day one. Day two? You're going to hear a bunch of guys picked in the first two rounds, I think, more than, than Texas has seen in a long time. Kind of what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so look, I mean, Byron Murphy, a year ago, if we were doing this to your point, Justin, I mean, what are we projecting him as a fourth rounder? Fourth or fifth, maybe. I mean, so that's the beauty of this. Players can improve. They can surprise you. And uh, the sign of a good program is guys keep surprising you, right? That's yeah. getting developed. and. You know, we're used to guys leveling off, right? And that's why Texas football leveled off or, or leveled down, right? So where is he going to go specifically? I don't know because I don't have a good grasp on the schemes because we had a big re – we've had a rearrangement of some of the defensive coordinators and some of the D-line coaches. Good you know, point. there's the Elijah Clancy guys, the Aaron Donald types. That That's the Byron Murphy comp, right? Right. These squatty, very powerful, very quick guys who are high energy, high motor, never quit, uh, great leverage. But the concern with those guys, because 90% of the time, length is a problem. If you're six feet tall, if you're six foot one, a six foot six, 330 pound NFL guard is going to big brother you, like quite literally yeah. put his flat hand on your head and your arms are going to be <laughs> swinging in the air, right? But if you're a special kind of guy like the Aaron Donalds and then, you know, maybe the Kalijah Cantys, we'll see how he pans out. That's what the, that's the Byron Murphy comp. I think he's going to go in the lower end of the first round. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. In the twenties. I got him in the twenties. That tells you he'll go to a, a better team, right? Yes. Which is probably a good situation for him because he's a guy I want playing with other good defensive linemen. If he's a focal point solely, I don't think it's going to go as well for him. So great point. I think a, a rich getting richer scenario would be great for him. Uh, you know, hell, I'd love to see him as much as I hate to say this, maybe in a, a Philadelphia Eagle. We'll see. Well, hey, I, I know the Kansas City Chiefs are big on Murphy right now. I know a lot of that can be smokescreen type stuff. But listen, the Chiefs have, have done – they're trying to continue to, to stockpile on that D-line. Obviously, Texas X, Charles Amena, who's there, who had a good season. Uh, Chris Jones. They've got some guys there, but there's some holes, which I think San Francisco might exploit. Yeah, Justin, let me ask you, doesn't Kansas City like length? Like Amena, who's long – Chris well, Jones. They like length. Yeah, because Amenahus can play can play three tech and can also play the five. He can also play outside. That's why Amenahus, right. I think, made such a good living in the NFL is his versatility. Byron's inside guy, in my opinion. There's no way in hell you can put him on the outside. Oh, of course. But that's but what they I mean. need. But I think they need that interior guys. Or, or I, you can say every team needs to stockpile on those types. But I think Kansas City's thing, if you watch their team, their games this year, they had a hard time stopping the run, Paul. Yeah. Like you could run on Kansas City, and they had a really good inside linebacker in Nick Bolton, and it kind of felt like he was having to do everything for him because Chris Jones is your pass rush type. 
Charles Amenahu is your pass rush type. So that interior, I think, was big. Um, Ian, what well, receiver goes first? Xavier Worthy or Adnan Mitchell? Adnan Mitchell. But before we get into that. Okay, I'm sorry. It's Come worth on. explaining why everyone is mocking Byron Murphy in the first round and not Texas's other defensive tackle, the Outland Trophy winner for best lineman in the whole country. Um, Probably because he weighs 400 pounds. I, I think it's because college football is about stopping the run. And in the NFL, what excites people in first-round defensive tackles is pass rush. And Byron Murphy had like five sacks last year. Now, I honestly, I would draft Sweat over Murphy. I felt like Sweat was more disruptive. I, What he does is valuable. I think he may be a little better as a pass rusher than he's getting credit for in these. Um, Paul, Paul will tell. Paul has already told you on our live stream, and he would probably tell you again that a 364 pound guy in a league where they have a what a 52 man roster and there's not as many subs is a concern. I would have that concern. I probably wouldn't draft. I don't honestly. I don't think I would draft any of these guys in the first round. No offense to. University of Texas, my alma mater. But um, that Murphy is, I think Murphy is getting higher grades because they see that motor and the ability to maintain effort in the pass rush over a whole game, whereas Sweat has concerns there. And then also just because he's a gap shooter, you put him in like a zone blitz scheme and he can stunt gaps and, and chase and play, you know, 50, 60 snaps and give you something, whereas Sweat, Two gapping, eating space, two down defensive linemen yeah. may not be seen as having the same value, but but I think Sweat is a is more of a guarantee in some regards. Don't forget too, Byron Murphy is the second youngest kid that's getting drafted. Okay, he, he'll be twenty years old in six months. I think that's significant as well. Go ahead, Paul. Hey, real quick, I I think the other perspective is. We're just talking the pure football, their traits of the player and how they'll fit to the, the defense and all that. Think about being a GM. What's disastrous to you is your first rounder not panning at all. No. Oh, you so lose your job. Here's the deal. Byron Murphy has a 0% chance of getting paid and being satisfied. You nailed it. Tavondre Sweat has a 15% chance. Okay. Yeah. And you have to add that math into the calculations. Now, the the alternative is to say, no, no, no. First round draft picks are about drafting upside. We're going for, we're swinging for the fences. We want the best. We're going to assume the best version of that player. And we're going to create structures to enforce that. I got it. I get it. But the reality of the NFL, the reality of the GM in the NFL is when you have disasters in the first round, you're not the GM any longer. Whereas yeah. if you have a, an average NFL starter, people kind of shrug and go, oh yeah, he didn't quite, he didn't quite hit the, the home run, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's been starting for us and he's got a nine year NFL career. So anyway, I'm, I'm not endorsing either perspective. I'm just saying no, no, no. there is a CYA aspect to being a GM in the NFL. And, and that's that's a hundred percent part of it. I, I think that's the beauty of trying to fit you know, factor this in. What's funny is, we, it's hard to predict where these guys are going to go because I've learned 
if one position gets picked early enough, you'll see a run at that position and it will change the shape. And it it's never more so than with the quarterback position. I remember when Sam Ellinger was going into that draft and it wasn't so much, was he going to get drafted? It was what point do they start a run on quarterbacks? Cause that's yeah. going to determine kind of where he goes and where he sits. Justin, I wanted to see here. It's to your point. It's quarterbacks and offensive tackles. Yes. Once right. you see the momentum start to go on guys coming off the board at offensive yep. tackle, it used to be sudden, corners too. I think it's still corner too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. corner for sure. Joey Porter, I remember that last oh, year. Like insane. people were freaking out that he was available on the first pick of the second round or, or the last yeah. pick of the first. I, I can't remember because the corner run happened and he was still available, and everyone was like, "Whoa!" So, yeah, it, interesting. You know, Ian made made an interesting statement a while ago. I don't know, and I, I don't know, Paul, if you caught that. He said he doesn't know in a very sweet way if there's any first rounders, actual first round guys in the in this group. And I honestly, I think that's a legit question. And then I, I came to this conclusion. I do feel like Jatavian Sanders is the best first round potential guy here. I think he's the guy that can have what you a good boom, a good impact. If you're gonna hit on an early pick, a Jatavian's Brock Bowers is going first. That's that's set in stone. <laughs> but the next guy, and I think teams are just they're wanting the tight end position more and more. You see the Sam Laporta, and you're like, holy moly, like that dude was in, you know, he set records this year for the Detroit Lions. I mean, he was huge. And I really know that guy because my son drafted him in fantasy football. Out of, and, and, and he thinks that he found somebody, which all he did was click on his box when it went to draft. But the dude broke Keith Jackson's 1989 record with the Philadelphia Eagles. And so it, it was crazy. But I think JT Sanders of this group is, is first round worthy, I would say. And I want thoughts on just that and Jonathan Brooks. And the reason I bring up Brooks is because he's coming off a huge injury and the draft doesn't like running backs anyway. And still he is, if you look at every mock draft, he is one or two running back ranked in every single one of them. And I just – that – I can't wrap my head around it so much. I know he's a great back, but I think there's certain things that he's not going to be able to do in the NFL. Plus, he's coming off that major injury. I know he runs with a Tony Dorsett style without Dorsett speed. Guys, I think those two offensive guys, JT Sanders and, and, and Jonathan Brooks, are interesting case studies of what we're going to see in late April. Do you agree? Ian, you want to take first shot at it? Uh, I think I particularly the part about Jatavian Sanders is the most worthy first round pick. I think I agree with that. Now, normally he has some flaws in blocking, yeah. but I mean, when's the last time you saw Travis Kelsey be asked to be a crucial part of the pass protection for Patrick Mahomes? Like, they just don't ask him to do it. No. Uh, it's, a, it's something that Sark is married to for whatever reason. So um, I, I think that, that sounds about right. Paul, you you were what, – what did you think on that and, and the other points that Justin made? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's all – these are all good players, and it's just styles and fits. And, like, yeah. if I want a more traditional tight end, I wouldn't draft JT Sanders till the third round, and he wouldn't be available. Right. But you say uh, traditional in the sense that he's an inline guy and a flex guy, or that he's just in line. 
complete. Like, like, the like old Brett Clark from the 49ers. No, I mean like a complete tight end. Um, okay. I, if if wow. you're looking okay. for that, if you're, you know, the New England Patriots, it's not going to work out for you. But if, if you want to flex him and you just view him as, you know, a Travis Kelsey, uh, then I think there's there's merit to it. I think the issue, the concern that I would have with him is he's a great, subtle athlete. He's actually not an explosive athlete. Like Sam Laporta is a much better athlete than JT Sanders. Yeah. Uh, faster, bigger, stronger, more explosive. Is he bigger? Oh, yeah. Because I think Sanders is what, 260, 265? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that big? He's got a big time. No, no, no. He's, okay. he's 240. 250? Low 240s. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, so Laporta is a bigger, stronger, faster okay. guy, all that. Uh, so, but the, JT's got the, the subtle athleticism. His hands are beautiful. Like, he runs great routes. He's got good feel. And um, he he's serious about it. Like, he, he takes football seriously. And so I think he's going to have a good opportunity to maximize. But it's just a fit. You know, if you want a flex tight end, he's top on my board behind Brock Bowers. I get that. He's he's a generational type freak. But uh, the Jonathan Brooks thing is super interesting because, dude, I, I couldn't be happier that he's mocked in the second round. I – Right. I pray to God that he goes there. That would be amazing for him. Yeah. Beyond the knee injury, uh, I, here's what I think the NFL scouts see. Two things. One, I think it's a weak running back class in general. And yes. two, his subtleties, his skills are traits that they think scale well to the NFL. Translates. Yeah, and, and it's not so much about Freaking like Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson are their own thing because they not only have the traits, but they're also crazy freakish athletes. And yes. like Bijan Robinson's one of the quickest human beings I've ever seen on a football field at his size. And Jameer Gibbs is quicker. I mean, yes. I've never seen anything like it. So Shard Choice knew how to pick him. Yes. Now, Jonathan Brooks, though, he has a run maximizing ability. And if you go watch some of his highlights, there were times when he made the first guy miss so subtly, you didn't even catch it watching it live. <laughs> I, I swear, it's this weird little dip. It's like a Marcus Allen thing back in yeah. the day. And that really translates. It scales up well to the NFL. Because the NFL is not about busting 70-yard runs on people, right? It's about maximizing your run and getting five when it's blocked for three and getting to the proper down and distance. And then when the run is blocked correctly, you get 14 instead of, you know, trying to break it outside and you, you get, you know, a three yard gain. I mean, the NFL running game is very different in what they want and what they structure. They love Jonathan Brooks's style and feel. That's what they're seeing. That's why he's projected in the second round. I'm kind of a, I'm such a Grinch on this. I've, I've been a running backs or a commodity guy for decades before it was Same. fashionable i i was getting in arguments with people about olandis gary not being elite and i'm like dude <laughs> whoever you plug in the shanahan system is gonna run that zone that zone system was working it was clinton portis it was mike selvin anderson young. it was El selvin young it was olandis <laughs> gary if you played fantasy football in the 2000s and you didn't have a denver running back you were failing yes and it's honestly, it's sadly, and I'm in the heart of Colorado, so you can't voice this uh, often, but it's one of the reasons, it's a knock against Terrell Davis, right? 
as as good as he was, it's a knock against him that every guy that came after him rushed for 1,400 yards, right? Maybe there's Dude, something else going on. Anyway, different. maybe, but he wasn't so different in the production. That's the point. But well, No, the, no, no, no. But Terrell was – there were two was, seasons Terrell Davis might have been the best player in the NFL. Like, I, I just love Davis. I thought once yeah. Elway got Terrell Davis, it's like, okay, now you're going to win a Super Bowl. It was We got a years. whole offseason – to talk oh, I about this. I know, I know, I know. You're right, you're right. But uh, Brooks, I'm uh, with you on Brooks. I agree on Brooks. That's Jonathan, people see these very subtle traits that aren't the 40 time, that aren't the, you know, 245 and he benches this. It's about run maximization. That said, I'm a running back or commodities guy, yeah. uh, except for a very tiny handful that are just next level. And frankly, unless that guy can catch the football, I'm not as you know enthused with them, but I think that is what is the appeal of Brooks is he kind of does everything well at NFL guys. They like that sort of solidness. Um, so I, I pray to God he goes in the second round. That'd be amazing for that guy. I wish, well, there, I wish all the there best. Is, there is also a, a, a school of thought. If you don't have like the Shanahan line and Yushik and Kittles and all that to use, maybe not a first round pick, but a second round pick or a late first or a third on your running back and then just don't give him the second contract and do it again. Yeah. And there's the belief. I mean, if I, I've talked to Blake Brockermeyer about this and he said, look, there's That's running backs that run their blocking better and there's offensive lines that make their running back look a lot better. Right. than the guy actually is. And then free agency exposes them down the road. Uh, but to Ian's point, there's a it's a it's a tougher part of the NFL, the business of it, which is, hey, let's get these running back. Let's use him up. And then when it comes for the second contract, you discard him. And, you know, a lot of people have paid that second contract Dallas Cowboys and regretted it. Uh, and generally, I think Christian McCaffrey is one of the only recent exceptions, frankly, to it that, you know, it's been proven that you can pay him and it was worth it. But. He yeah, is, that's he, is he is. You're right. McCaffrey is. I'm, I'm going to ask it one more time. A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. Um, I, 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 I mean, it's really what Paul says. It's about fits. But we're in an era in the NFL where they're chunking the ball constantly. And, so, I mean, look at the Baltimore Ravens. I felt like they have drafted wide receiver after wide receiver for the last four or five years just to help out Lamar Jackson, just to get him guys there. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously with the Devin Duvernay and a Zay Flowers and, and guys like that. But How'd that work out? <laughs> you know, I, the Ravens are taking it on the chin. They had a really good season, and I think they just had a bad game, a full game really, against Kansas City. I, I still think that, I still think that team is Super Bowl worthy. I still think that defense is getting only getting better. They draft so well. I think it's a matter of time, but it, it's like that with Baltimore. There's a there's a reason that they almost let Lamar Jackson walk, and that reason was spray painted on the field in Chiefs red and gold and white in that game, that playoff game. It it is what it is. It, no, let me take right. another stab. At, let me take another stab at Mitchell and Worthy. I to me, Mitchell is more of a sure thing because he has amazing body control. He runs great routes and he catches the ball and you can throw it kind of around him. And he'll, he's a high point guy. Worthy. It's worthy has not actually been that amazing in production at Texas. 
He's going to run great at the combine. Um, it's hard to tell if like playing with Quinn Ewers, who's like a kind of a one read kind of quarterback who often struggled to find Worthy's range was limiting him. Like is some team going to put Worthy in the slot and he's going to be amazing. And it's going to be like, wow, didn't really realize that he could be the best option route runner in the NFL. Cause he never did that at Texas. Maybe. Or maybe the production of Texas and the like yards per target were never really that impressive for a reason that wasn't, that was just falls unworthy, you know? Well, Paul, you look like you're itching to add to this. I think, I think, I see some Keenan Allen in Xavier Worthy. I know this. Keenan Allen, what, what receiver what from the Chargers. Yeah, I know who Keenan Allen is. He's a six foot three possession receiver. What, what does that, what do you mean? Six three? I don't think yeah. he's that big. He's a he's a, he's got the best feet at receiver next to DeAndre Hopkins in the league. Yeah, he does have great feet. He runs like a four. I didn't think he was six three. Yeah, he's six three. If we played him in, against when he was playing, I know, I know. Vaccaro did jumped over the freaking his quarterback. I think that was his, like his half brother or something. I think that's how the cow got him. Actually, I didn't know he was that big. Yeah, he's a possession. He looks real thin. I, he can't break a four six if you tried, but. Hey, I noticed the Houston Texans are drafting 23rd. That they did be... go with Mechie two years ago, so they did go early on a receiver. I don't know if they want to take another risk, even though Stroud definitely needs a big-time receiver. He needs some dudes, and frankly, he's been performing with, with Six, guys. 6'2", 200 pounds. So okay. he's that's Keenan. He's easily twenty pounds heavier than Worthy. Yeah, I looked yeah. at it more from the feet and the possession and the hands because I think I think Worthy can do that. But at the same time, in space, he he's going to leave people. Even Other in the NFL, is, uh, the Detroit Lions are drafting late, getting Worthy on turf with uh, that Amon quarterback, Laporta, Amon Ross, St. Brown. That would be silly. Uh, that that. That would be one of the fastest skill groups in the NFL uh, outside of the Dolphins, right? So the other yeah. thing is, look, if Worthy fell to the second round to the Chiefs, I mean, they badly need wide receivers. I mean, the quiet story of this is the Pat, the greatness of Pat Mahomes as a quarterback is he's got Travis Kelsey and his, his wide receiver group is in the bottom quartile of the league. They're and terrible. Yeah, I mean, Rasheed Rice. It has got okay. progressively worse. Well, but they're not paying these guys, and they're making no, a decision that Patrick Mahomes is going to carry them, and that gives them the opportunity to get a Xavier Worthy or Adonai Mitchell in the second round. Which reminds me of Rodgers with Green Bay early yes. on in Green Bay, where they wouldn't go get a, a big-name guy, but they'd get Greg Jennings in the fourth round, I think out of Central Michigan, or they'd go get a Jordy Nelson, I think in the second round in Kansas State, a Devontae Adams – and what was it, the third, second or third, maybe fourth round out of, I believe, I think it was Fresno State. And, you know, Rodgers would gripe and bitch about it all the time, about why aren't you drafting guys? Um, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is probably going to have some input on this one, in my opinion. Last subject, the SEC and Big Ten have a joint advisory group. This is essentially the death kneel for the NCAA. This, in and of itself, is an entire episode worth of, of, of good conversation. We're just going to skim it real quick as we wrap up this edition of Deep Dive. You two, give me your your thoughts. Is this the beginning of the end? And don't forget, Dartmouth can now unionize, and that ain't good. Is this the beginning of the end, fellas? 
Well, let's maybe talk about why they formed this joint advisory group. Uh, kind of ironic that the two te- the two conferences with all the talent formed a group with the acronym JAG. <laughs> right? Uh, here's the deal. Basically, the SEC and the Big Ten, they're, they're trying to create a structure so that they don't have to react. Right? And they're basically putting the NCAA on notice. We're forming a structure to cooperate. It's like the NFL, right? There's the AFC and the NFC. They don't sell separate TV packages, do they? No. Right? They formed a cohesive group called the NFL. Like back in the old days when they, they merged the AFL and the NFL, right? And that's what the SEC and Big Ten are creating a superstructure. They're not doing anything yet. They're just saying, let's form this group so that we can basically put the NCAA on notice. If you start doing silly stuff, we're just going to figure out our own thing. And we're the only two conferences that matter with all respect to the other conferences. And you need us far more than we need you. Now, we will stay under your aegis. We'll stay under your, you know, because the NCAA does do some things for for non-revenue sports. The NCAA does, the NCAA, you know, most people don't know this. They make all their money off of basketball. They make yeah. all their money off of March Madness. March. Uh, but if the NCAA doesn't have some reform, and I'll give you one example. The playoffs, uh, six and six structure, meaning we, we know we're all going to a 12-team playoff. I don't think most people know what's being argued and debated right now, which is there are the top-rated six conference champions and then six at large. Well, the Pac-12 just blew up, so you can't do 6-6. Six, six. Uh, 5-7, that makes sense. The Pac-12 next this year actually still has a bid. So, I mean, so that needs to be fixed. You can't just send Washington State or Oregon State to the playoff uh, because of some legacy issue. And then what, of course, the SEC and Big Ten are going to argue for is what? They want more at large, right, and fewer yeah. conference champions. And so what they're going to basically argue is, hey, in a good – no, in an amazing year, the Big 12 could get two teams. In an amazing year, the ACC could get two teams. But the Big 12 and ACC aren't getting four teams in the same year. And so that's the point. And I think that's just one of many issues beyond unionization, beyond free agency for players, all that kind of stuff. Those are the things – that's why this is formed – and what they're basically doing is taking the lead over the NCAA and saying, if you don't adjudicate these things the way we want or create rule structures the way we want, or you're trying to punish people like Tennessee, uh, you know, Tennessee obviously bought their quarterback for $8 million right out of high school, but there were no rules around that. They were yeah. all just guidelines. So anyway, I rambled about this, but that's the NCAA moves the goalposts. This is yes. to prevent that. And so what the conferences are doing is coming together and saying, hey, like, you're not really in charge anymore. And I know you think yeah. you're in charge, but it's like the dark night where Bane puts his hand on the guy's shoulder and says, do you feel in charge? And the guy's like, uh, not right now. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the those two conferences flexing on the NCAA. They're putting their hand on their shoulder and saying, do you feel in charge? And the NCAA needs to say no, uh, or, or they're going to get their neck snapped. Ian, if they're in a union, don't they lose scholarships? Doesn't the scholarship become different? Union? Like a player's union? Yes. I I don't know if we're going to get there. 
I mean, you wonder at some point if they're going to structure things where they have TV revenue that gets distributed to players and rules around that. But that's right. never, ever going to happen without more stratified tiers of college football. Um, so without, without, the, without the Big Ten and the SEC breaking off to govern things differently, you're not going to get any of that kind of thing. It's going to continue to be mostly wild, wild west, unless they could get the NCAA to back off enough to maybe be able to have contra- NIL contracts with clauses, right? Yeah. Before you can really – I mean, the sport is moving towards professionalization. But the way, it's, the way it's getting there is going to be the most backwards Byzantine process you can imagine because it's going to work – within these existing structures without tearing down any of them until they absolutely have to. Um, so, I mean, just get used to weird stuff in college football and archaic rule, uh, archaic rules and things like that for the next, for the foreseeable future. And it'll continue to be wildly entertaining. <laughs> it is entertaining. You know what else is entertaining? InsideTexas.com. We're there to party. Come hang out with us anytime, please. We got a special right now, a dollar for a month. Sign up. Come come, let us earn your business. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure getting to talk to you guys. I, I look forward to this each week. I'm ready for Kelso to come back next week because I feel like he makes us the uh, the four horsemen, and, and, and that's how we really roll. And so, But we've been, we've been going tripod style the last two weeks, and we got it, Kelso. We always got your back. So, tripod hey, Ricky Brown? What would you say? <laughs> there was a Texas football player whose nickname was Tripod. Ricky Brown? Yeah. The fullback? Yeah. Ricky Williams was jealous. All right. Got to <laughs> like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Please come see us. And thank you once again for joining us with Ian Boyd and Paul Waddlington. I'm Justin Wells. Have a good night. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel, powered by InsideTexas.com. <laughs>